Anyway, never mind. Right, well, we are on Palm Sunday, and um, we're also starting a season, and the title is Learning to Love. Um, And I don't know about you, but it's certainly something I need to learn. It is a process of learning, isn't it? Um, Someone said, uh, they were talking about marriage, and about how in marriage there are... um, a thousand small decisions that you make that you wouldn't have made if you were on your own. And I thought, yeah, that's it, isn't it? Because part of it, as we submit and love one another, we make decisions not based on ourselves, but on the other person. A thousand small decisions. They're tiny at times, aren't they? Just to, you know, oh, just wash their cup up for them. It's a small thing. But it adds up to love over time. And this morning we're in uh, Palm Sunday, as it's known. And um, I think we see something of love in the passage that we're going to look at. And we're going to be looking at Luke uh, version. Obviously we see Palm Sunday in all of them. But let's open our Bibles at Luke and Luke 19. And it's verse 28, Luke 19, verse 28, entitled, Jesus comes to Jerusalem as king. And it's a really familiar passage to us this morning. So we're going to have to work extra hard (laughs) because it's so easy in a passage like this to switch off and go, yeah, now this works out. But this morning, we want God to meet with us. We want to hear from him. And I think something of that is an attitude of heart, isn't it? If we love him, we're going to make one of those thousand small decisions to listen to him this morning. And that takes effort. So let's pray. We've got his words here. We've got the spirit. Let's pray now and ask him to speak. Father, you are our Father. And we come before you this morning as a community, and we're going to gather around Scripture. And we're going to gather around this really, really familiar passage where it'd be so easy to switch off. And so we choose to obey you, we choose to love you this morning. And pray that you'd speak to us in the quiet moments, in the moments when we're just thinking and allowing thoughts to go through our heads. Help us be aware of what your spirit is saying to us this morning. Amen. Amen. So... I don't know if uh, you have you spend much time in crowds. Some of us hate crowds. It gives us anxiety and we just want to be alone, want to run as fast as we can away from them. But we've probably all been in a crowd at some point. It could be football. I remember when um, 
when uh, we got tickets to go and watch uh, the Ladies World Cup and we were in the crowd. Um, And even at the beginning, when the band was sort of whipping everyone up, I felt really emotional. Felt a bit, I was like welling up. I was like, well, this is an interesting experience for me, having never been to a football match before. Gave me a little insight into what it's like to be sort of in that crowd that's cheering on something or someone. Perhaps you've been to a concert before. I, um, I've been to see Brian Adams. Yes, I know. It's my claim to fame. I'm not really a music person, if I'm honest. My family wasn't really into it. We spent a lot of time just listening to um, kind of music from the 1950s in our house, which was fine. But as a teenager, I didn't have much to relate to my friends, (laughs) shall we say. I tended to have a lot of posters of horses on. Anyway, but putting that aside, we're at the concert and the same sort of thing happens. You're in this massive crowd and they're all singing the same song and you feel really emotional. And I think that's what happens at big festivals, isn't it? Music festivals. You feel that sense of we're here together and we're singing the same song and everyone knows the words and we're getting involved. And we have that as well when we gather as Christians. Certain times of the year, thousands of Christians will gather together, maybe at spring harvest or maybe at new wine or um, many of the other options that there are for Christians to gather together. And there's something about those moments that you just seem, yes, God, I am with you, 100% for you. My cloak is on the floor. Uh, I've whipped it off. I'm yours. I'm kneeling. I'm up the front. I'm yours 150%. So I just want you to think for a moment of what that feels like. Just go back perhaps to a moment, might be something I've mentioned, or you might have your own, of being in a crowd when you felt just swept up in that kind of emotion of like, I am yours. Okay, well, let's take our Bibles now because we are going into that moment of being swept up in that crowd. So Luke 19, and it starts at verse 28. I'm going to read to 36. I think I'm going to stop there. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethphage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you. And as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Say, The Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it, just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, Why are you untying the colt? And they replied, The Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, and they threw their cloaks on the colt and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. So it starts with after Jesus had said this. 
And uh, different things happen in different Gospels. Luke chooses to put in front of it this parable of the ten minas. If you just flick back your page, you'll see that. And this parable is about a king that has been appointed, someone who has been appointed king, and they have returned to see what has happened. And we get in the parable that they don't want the king. In fact, they don't want him so much. They send, um, they send people across to say, we don't want this guy. They're very adamant about it. But he is made king. And we can see how Luke is setting us up for this, because at this moment we're going to see a very different reaction to the king coming. But if, we know, if we've read this before, we'll know that that's going to change very fast. At this point, it says they, are, they approach Bethphage and Bethany at the hill called Mount of Olives. They can see Jerusalem. It's not very far, probably less than if we walked from here to the common. It's close. They can see it. It's like hills. So they can see it. And they're all getting ready. And why are they going there? They're going for Passover. And Passover is the big one. It's the massive festival. This is the moment when the thousands are going to gather. And they're going to sing songs that they all know. All of them know by heart. They're going to be chanting together. They're going to be swept up remembering who it is they are all following. Yahweh. And as they journey along the road, they are singing psalms. And these are called the psalms of ascent. And they are the words that they sing as they ascend up to Jerusalem. And they all know these words. It's a bit like the words, the bulls come in home. We all know those words, don't we? We know them. We could burst into them. And we know what they mean. They're about expectation and hope. Yes, this is the year it's going to happen. Football is coming home. We know, what does this mean? Like, what the heck does that mean? Football's coming. What are you on about? We all know, don't we? We know what that means. We mean we are going to win this year. And that's the sort of thing that's going through their mind as they are singing these psalms and Luke is picking up on that as he brings out some of the words in a minute he's going to be bringing out those words of um, psalm of the psalm but before that we look at what he does bring out he we notice that he says they put him on a colt okay And we know that something's gone on. It's not like it's a mystery, like a bit of magic has happened. Jesus obviously arranged this ahead of time. He's going to do this. He has chosen this. He knows exactly what he's doing. And when he's sitting on this colt, it's making them think of Zechariah 9, 9 to 10, that says, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. He is very clearly making a statement here. I'm king. I'm coming. And it says underneath that, what is the result of the king coming? What is the expectation that the king will do? Okay, just like when we sing in football's coming home, what are we expecting? That we'll win. 
It says, verse 10, I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem and the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. The expectation is peace. They are not in a time of peace, but they are hoping for peace. Here they put the king on a donkey. They lay their cloaks or palm branches, John says. He's specific about it. Others just say branches. And this is them declaring, you are king. This is a sign, a spontaneous sign in the moment as they worship, as they go up to Jerusalem. They are laying their cloak. It's like us going to the front of a meeting. It's like us getting on our knees and saying, Jesus, you are the king. And they're all shouting. Verse 37, it goes on. When he came near to the place where the road goes down to the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. So in the midst of this, there's spontaneous worship breaking out along the, the road. As they journey, as a whole crowd, they would because they're going up to Jerusalem. And they're singing the Psalms of Ascent about the king coming. They're seeing him on the donkey. They're declaring Jesus is Lord. They're saying, God, praise you that you have brought your Redeemer And we can imagine that, can't we, in a meeting where spontaneous worship, it's like revival. I don't know if you have ever experienced being in a revival meeting. There's been small dots around the UK. We haven't seen a massive, huge revival for a very long time. But in the revival, we know that what happens is spontaneous worship breaks out. People stop outside. People uh, travel miles because they feel compelled, because they want to worship and declare who God is. And they go on to say, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And it comes from Psalm 18. So you might want to, you can go there if you want, I'm going to. And we see this psalm that they would have sung year after year after year after year after year. After generations, this song is engraved on their hearts. And they're singing Blessed is the king. And we find it somewhere. (laughs) Where am I looking? Oh, I've totally lost myself. Oh, yeah, 26. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. From the house of the Lord we bless you. The Lord is God, and he has made his light shine on us. And that reminds you, doesn't it, of John when he says, The light has shined in the darkness. With bows in hand, join the festival, festal procession up to the horns of the altar. They're enacting the psalm that they've been singing 
You are my God and I will praise you. You are my God and I will exalt you. And they're doing exactly that here on the mountainside. And what does the psalm say before that? We've got all that stuff about the stone the builders have rejected has become the cornerstone, which we'll pick up. There's so much in there to have a look at later. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So they would have sang it every year, but now they sing it of Jesus. And it says, some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, teacher, rebuke your disciples. And I'm thinking about the Pharisees. I'm thinking, what's going on? And we have to remember, don't we, that this is the time that they gather. It's the time when they all come together and they're allowed to do it. They're allowed to remember their God. It's like nationalism at its best as they sing these songs. And right in the middle of this, someone and some people, and in fact now a crowd of people want to start a revolution. They want to start a war on Passover. No wonder they're saying, will you just shut up? And yet, for year after year after year after year, they've been singing in expectation of this moment. But when it comes, they'd rather just keep things very calm and quiet. They'd rather just have tradition. Because are they going to make a massive risk on this guy? No, they're not. But some are. Some are going to declare him king. And he's going to die for that in a minute. Jesus says, I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. It's such... Something so magnificent, so immense, so eternity changing is happening at this moment that even if they don't cry out, even if not one person notices and says, Jesus, I am in 100% with you. He says, the very stones on the mountains around them are going to declare him as king. And this comes, closest thing we've got is Isaiah 55. When it talks about the mountains and the hills will burst into song. And it's really interesting psalm. Psalm 55. Because it starts with, Come all who are thirsty. Come to the waters. You have no money. Come by and eat. It's another, another prophecy about Jesus who says, you know, I'm the water of life. Come, come. Those who are thirsty. It picked up again in Revelation. Come and buy that what you don't have. And interestingly, in Isaiah 55, verse 11, it says, he talks about as the rain and the snow come down from heaven, And do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater. So is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but it will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I've sent it. You will go out in joy and be led forth in peace. 
and the mountains and the hills will burst into song before you and all the trees of the fields will clap their hands. And we know that words can be scripture but the word can also be the word. John says the word was with God and the word was God. And everything will break forth in praise before him. And then we come to this bit. And this is why I chose Luke's version for starting off our series on love. What is love? Learning to love. Because it says, verse 41, As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it's hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming. And here we have Jesus declaring who he is. And there's so much celebration going on and declarations of who he is and testimonies to what he's done. Spontaneous prophecy bursting forth from people's lips. And in the middle of it, it says, he wept. And that weeping, it's not just, it's not just the odd tear. He's sobbing. He has absolutely lost it. And we all know those moments when we are sobbing, when we're utterly devastated in the midst of loss normally. It's normally grief that will drive us to that point. And grief is where Jesus is at as he awaits what's coming. He grieves over his people. And tears are the core of it. The core of the gospel is that God so loved the world that he gave. He gave in love. And he gave himself. Jesus sobs over those who should be welcoming and saying, No, shh, shh, be quiet, be quiet. Just tell them to be quiet because, look, we've got a good thing going on here. Just be quiet. Let's not disturb the peace. Instead, they want to seek liberation and peace their own way. They want the Passover to be an easy thing. They want it to be uh, leaving Egypt but without any of the problems. They want to just be able to be free. And Jesus says, real peace Peace between me, you, and God, and you and the others, and blessing of the whole world comes through me. And you just refuse to see it. And because of that, he weeps. He really weeps. And he says, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it's hidden from your eyes. And that can feel so harsh, can't it? Sometimes we, we think, oh, following Jesus, like follow me or the high road, that's it. 
And if we miss the tears, if we miss the sobbing, we miss a massive part of who God is. That he weeps over us and the world and our friends. If we don't have them, it's just harsh, harsh warnings. These are the tears of a God who will suffer. Who will continue on this road even though he knows exactly what's coming. He knows what is coming. He knows that every single person around him is going to turn and be yelling something different. And it must be utterly terrifying. And we know that in the garden he was terrified. And yet our God, because of his great love, because he weeps and sobs in grief, will not stop and will continue to the cross that will bring peace. This is our God of love. And this is who we want to learn to be like. A God who loves like this. Why would we not choose this God? So let's pause. We're going to stop there and just close your eyes. And we're just going to allow God to speak. Lord Jesus, we've, many of us have been in those moments when we've been swept along. Our cloak is down. We're shouting Hosanna. And we want to make you king. And we've known the joy of celebrating and testimonies of who you are and what you've done. And many of us have known the moments of grief when we've wept over our friends and family and the world. And we've also known those moments of mundane when we go through the motions. Everything is good enough and we've stopped expecting you to do anything we've stopped counting the cost so Jesus in this series as we learn to love we know that love brings so much joy but also pain.
Lord Jesus, we, we recognize today who we are on that day. The weeper, the rejoicer, the indifferent. Soften our hearts, Jesus. 